0: would come up, we asked them to come this morning and just kind of share a little bit about what's going on in their small group. Um, We have Sunday school classes that meet on Sunday mornings, and we want you to be a part of that, but we also have small groups that are just like Sunday school classes that meet in homes at other times during the week, and so depending on your schedule and what works best for you. There are opportunities and options for you. We asked these guys to come and share a little bit about what was going on in their life or their class, and we asked their class to be part of the process. So I think you guys are here, so if y'all will come on up, if you would, and just kind of stand behind Toby and Mary Beth, and we're going to use them for an illustration in just a minute that they may or may not be aware of. No pressure. These guys started their small group, I think about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I asked them just to talk a little bit about what was going on and, and kind of why they were led to do this. because. Uh, there's a thousand reasons not to start a small group in your home, right? And we've all probably named most of them. Too busy, kids, work, blah, 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 blah on, and on the list goes. Yet, they have all the same struggles that everybody else does. They chose to do this. Why did you guys choose to start a small group in your home? So, we were a part of uh, the, a small group that the Humphreys and McCurrys led for about three years. And they... They always encouraged us if we ever felt uh, led, you know, to start a group that we should do that. And Mary and I, we saw that there was a lot of couples that were same stage of life we were at uh, that were not plugged in, whether they were just not in Sunday school or um, just didn't have a a group they were attending. So we decided to start one, um, and then it just started from there. And these are a few. There's a lot more I know that are coming pretty regularly. But you said in the last service that most of the people that have come to your class were not in a small group before that. Is that right? Right. So, you've been able to kind of reach people that were not involved in a small group up to that point. What are some exciting things happening in your class right now? Um, well, we had this past year, we've had five people have babies and two on the way. <laughs> and um, we have had someone go on a mission trip. And we've had Jake, who is saved and baptized. And then um, some of the couples that weren't, were only just coming to the service, are now serving in the preschool department and the children's department. So, a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, a lot of new people reach and so we're going to use them for an illustration so I want to did they tell you what y'all were doing y'all have any idea? Oh I could do all kind of cool stuff then right now they would not even know so I want to just kind of display the importance of multiplication right because we can talk about addition in a small group or Sunday school class that means you invite people to come which we want you to do right that's a big part of what we're doing we're inviting people to come be part of our small groups but multiplication means somebody's going to step out of the class and reach people on their own. They're going to start a new class. They're going to start a new Sunday school class or a new small group. So I thought it'd be cool for y'all to kind of demonstrate this principle because this is what brought y'all to a small group. And so I wanted y'all, if you would, just to kind of spread out, okay? I want you to walk somewhere in the sanctuary and just reach out and pick eight or ten people. You don't have to know them. Don't don't introduce yourself, don't have to know their names, nothing about them. Just go, just spread out, find eight or t- touch them or point to them. Somebody go in the back over to the sides. And when they point to you or Kind of get your attention. I want you to stand up, if you would. Eight or ten people per group right here. Don't be shy. We're just asking you to stand. You don't have to do anything else. And then you have to give a testimony. Just kidding. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Eight or ten, not two or three. Come on, eight or ten. Point to eight or ten. Get a little group around you. Some in the back. Okay, so we've gone from where there's... Eight people on stage? Ten maybe? Eight or ten? I want you to look around. Just look around. Just look. Everybody look. Now, just imagine if all of y'all started, if all these little groups started, y'all are brand new people in a Sunday school or small group, and then in two years, everybody that's standing decided to do the same thing. We would have this entire building filled up in two phases, right? Right? Imagine if we started doing this in Troop County, if we were serious about reaching out. Like, addition is great. We want to add people to Sunday school. But when we multiply our groups, we grow like crazy, and we always reach new people. It's it's not a secret formula. It's just the way Sunday school has always worked. When you start new groups, more people come. You reach more people for Christ. So y'all be seated. Thank y'all so much. Toby, Mary Beth, thank y'all. Let's thank them and their group for helping with this. Thank you all for being a part and challenging all of us in what Sunday school and small groups really can look like. Let me pray for us now, and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you for uh, the faithfulness of this group, Lord, the faithfulness of so many others that have gone before them with small groups and Sunday school classes. Lord, I pray if there are people here now that are not part of a small group, they would take this challenge very seriously. They would join a Sunday school class, join a small group. And then, Lord, I pray that the people that are involved and have been regularly involved and have been maybe going to the same class for a number of years would understand, Lord, very clearly, the opportunity before them. If they'll step out, Father, if they'll start new classes, if they'll start new groups, we will absolutely reach more people, Lord. We'll share the gospel more. More people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. More people will grow in their faith. And so I pray they would understand this challenge, take it very seriously. Father, you do great things through it. Thanks for our time we have this morning of worship. Thanks for the time we get now to study your word. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and may we be challenged and transformed as we pray every Sunday morning to look more and more like Jesus, Father. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you forgot your Bibles this morning or don't have one, we have one in the seat in front of you. It's a black, hardbound book. You can pick that book up, open it up. We're actually going to be on page 996 this morning, Nine ninety-six, Second 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home. We want you to have it. Okay. 2nd Timothy chapter 3 this morning we are continuing our sermon series that we have entitled Defining Us, Connect, Grow, Serve. It's the vision of our church. It's a vision statement we've been challenging you with it every week. We're going to continue to do that as we kind of help you understand really the DNA of who we are the direction we're going, how we want you to think. Remember, Christianity is not passive. It's active, and so there are things we want you to understand. There are things we want you to do, ways you can be plugged in, ways you can be challenged in your faith. And so we've been giving you this vision statement every Sunday for the last six or seven weeks, and I want to show it to you again this morning. Pull that up, if you would, please. And this morning, instead of me just reading it, I want you to read it with me. Okay, We're going to read it out loud together. This is what we want you to do. This is going to become the DNA of who we are as a church. So we want you to, here we go, connect to Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, serve Jesus here and around the world. It's a simple model. We're not reinventing the wheels, nothing real fancy. It's just what we believe scripture teaches about who we ought to be about how we ought to live, about how we ought to serve. And so this sermon series over the last several weeks has just been walking through each one of these. So I spent five weeks talking about connecting to Jesus and his church. I talked about the idea of salvation, and I'm going to talk about that again here in just a few minutes. But you can't do any of these other things. You can't really connect to his church. You can't talk about growing in your faith. You can't really serve Jesus biblically if you don't first have a relationship with him. So the foundational understanding here is to connect with Jesus in salvation. And so I'll just challenge you, and I'm going to talk about it here again, like I said in a minute. But if you've never done that, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, or maybe you did something many, many years ago it hadn't really ever meant anything to you, I would love, it would be my joy this morning during our time of invitation or between services or over lunch or whenever we can get together to talk to you, about salvation in Christ and who he is and what that means. And so we've been walking through this idea of connecting to Jesus and his church. Last week, we were in the sixth week of our study, and we started kind of the middle section, growing in faith and understanding of God's word. And so I just challenged you last week, and the podcast is available, by the way, if you weren't here. But I challenge you with kind of a simple truth from Scripture. The truth is this. There is an expectation as a Christian that you should be growing in your faith. There's an expectation all through Scripture that you should be growing in your walk, right? There's not an expectation of being passive. There's not an expectation of never doing anything for the Lord. There's never an expectation of not growing in your love of who Christ is. Instead, what we see all through the New Testament especially is there's an expectation that you grow, that you deepen your faith, that you deepen your walk, that you learn to love the Lord more, to serve Him more, always keeping our eyes on Christ. And so this morning, we're going to think again about growing in faith and understanding of God's Word. And I challenged you last week with something that a lot of you, I believe, have started to take very seriously. I challenged our entire church. We're going to memorize as a church John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, I've had the same response. We've gotten a lot of response, by the way, from people, which is very exciting to me. I've had pretty much the same response. It's this. I'm scared to death. I'm not sure I can do it, but I'm really excited to give it a shot. And I think that's fantastic. Like I think it's good that you're uncomfortable in your faith. I mean that. I think it's good that you're challenged a little bit in your faith, that you're not just sliding by, you're not just kind of skimming the surface. You're you're beginning, if you do this, to delve into God's Word, to commit it to memory, to think about it on a regular basis. And so the goal is we're going to memorize this as a church and then at our Christmas Eve service. And by the way, the little secret here is you're going to learn this way before Christmas Eve. But we're going to at our Christmas Eve service on the 24th. We're going to recite this together without the words. We're going to learn it. We're going to know it. And we're going to go out in the community and share the light of Jesus Christ. So I thought every week we need to challenge you with this. We need to remind you of this. We need to give you some tips and pointers and help you understand how you can better memorize this. So pull that slide up, if you would, with the verse. So we're going to practice this morning, okay? I've got the first five verses only. A lot of you have already been working on this. It's, this is serious, and, and before the 8.30 service, I was out in the lobby, and, and a little uh, boy, AJ, you guys, some of you guys know AJ, lived with the Myers, was with his phone. And you, when you see a fifth-grade boy walking with his phone, it's Fortnite, or it's Minecraft, or it's ESPN, or something. So I walked up behind him, just curious, and he had the Bible Scripture app. I'm not kidding, working on John chapter 1. Isn't that cool? So adults, pick it up, man. They're kids that are running up very quickly behind you to memorize this. So I've got the first five verses. We're going to if you can do this from memory do it if not just read it. Then we're going to switch it out on you here in just a second challenge him, okay? So we're going to say this together. If you can do it without looking, don't look. If you need to read it, read. Okay? So John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Ready? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, we're going to switch it up. Go to the next slide. Boom. Look at that. Wow. Now, if... Did she say she could do it? I bet she can. So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to do the same thing. Now, I've taken some words away. By the way, the Scripture Typer app, the Scripture Memorization tool that I gave you last week, that free app, this is exactly what it does. It gives you the whole verse, and then as you get better at it, it takes words away until there are no words on the screen. And you have to learn it yourself, okay? So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Ready? Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now pull the picture up of that scripture typer app if you would. If you want to do this on your own, go download this app. It's free, won't cost you a penny. Uh, you can actually put all the verses in at once if you want to, and I'm happy to help you do that. But you can sit at lunch. Uh, you can't sit at the stoplight anymore because it's illegal in your car in the state of Georgia. If nobody's looking at you, I guess you could do it. But don't do that. You can sit at work. You can sit at home, lunch, breakfast, just right on your phone. Instead of going to Facebook or Instagram or whatever we go to nowadays, open the Scripture app, work on your verses, okay? We're going to keep, keep challenging you, keep doing it. You can do this. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing I'm excited about committing. Listen, I'm telling you, for some of y'all, and I'm not, I don't know, I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just telling you, for some of y'all, y'all have never memorized 18 verses of scripture. Like this is new for you, and that's very exciting. You're gonna finish this process. You're gonna have 18 verses of scripture committed to memory. That's really cool. So let's keep doing it together. Okay, this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're gonna think about God's word. We're gonna think about growing in our faith and our understanding of God's word. So I'm gonna start in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I really want to focus on verse 14 and following. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. This is Paul speaking. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my practice, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, watch this, that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystrom, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all... Watch verse 12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Man, if you're taking notes, you ought to just underline that. The sermon is not really about that idea, but it's found all through Scripture. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not always going to be easy to be a believer. Verse 13. While evil... People and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, here's what we're going to focus on this morning. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I'm going to give you a truth this morning, and we're going to kind of walk back through this together. Truth number one, I want you to see foundationally, very important, get this one right if you don't get anything else right, number one. The Bible teaches us about salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us about salvation in Jesus Christ. Christ. And this is a theme of this series, if you haven't already noticed this. Everything begins and ends with Jesus. And I've said this before, and I've, I've challenged you, and I'll continue to say it. I don't, you, I don't want you to be confused about your salvation. I don't want you to be confused about your walk with Christ. I, I don't want you to have this kind of foggy memory of a of, of, 25 or 30 or 50 years ago, you you said a prayer, but you weren't really sure what it meant, and you have never really followed through. Let's just talk about it. I mean, this series has really brought, I I think, within the hearts of of several of our people, a lot of our people, this idea. And I've had some really interesting conversations the last several weeks about that idea. Either I was saved when I was really little, but I've never grown, I've never been baptized, or I'm not sure I was saved, Or I was saved, but now I'm realizing I need to do something more in my faith. And it's really spurring people to just really examine, to be honest with themselves, to rethink the process of salvation, what it means for them, what it meant then, what, what it means now. And so I just want to encourage you, let's just make sure we get this one right. Because if you don't understand salvation, if you haven't connected with Christ, first of all, through salvation in Him, then none of this other stuff is going to matter to you. And Paul reminds us of that. Look at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. He says, How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the Bible, which are now watch what the Bible's able to do, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see that? Now it doesn't say the Bible is able to make you a better person or popular or really smart. It says it said it's able to make you wise for salvation in faith in Christ. Now, I want to give you kind of two theological ideas here that, that matter and will help you kind of understand what's going on here. I want to talk about general revelation and special revelation. Now, God gives us His Word. But general revelation means there are things we can learn about God just generally in the world. And He's displayed His glory to us in general ways, for example, I was, uh, the other night, walked outside late at night. It was a little cooler, and I wanted to get outside and just breathe a little fresh air and look up at the stars. And I walked outside, and the lights were off, and it was really dark, and I could see just the brilliant sky above me. Just millions of stars. And I could see just a little sliver of the Milky Way galaxy. And I just stood there, and I remembered Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. I just thought about the beauty of creation and all God has given us. And I was just standing there, and I think I had my arms out like this. And I was just looking up, and I was just thanking the Lord for his beauty. And it was like the Lord just right on cue. He didn't have to do this. And I'm not saying it was just for me, but there was a shooting star, just real fast. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> just remind me of your glory. Just remind me of your beauty. Man, if you've ever gone to the beach and you look at the sunset, you get a general picture of the glory of the Lord, don't you? Sunrise. All through life we see little glimpses and little pictures. That's general revelation. There are things we can learn about the Lord and His beauty and His glory and His majesty just in nature and throughout history and in the lives of people. That's general revelation. But that's not enough. That's a great start and it warms our hearts to the things of the Lord. But we need special revelation. We need a very specific picture of exactly who Jesus is. And so special revelation is God's word. He gives us a very clear picture of His character, of His grace. And most importantly for us this morning, it explains to us exactly who Jesus is and where salvation comes from. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. One writer explained it like this. He said, the gospel is not advice to people suggesting that they lift themselves, it is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but the gospel is power. And God's power at that. When the gospel is preached, this is not simply so many words being uttered. It's the power of God at work. We get this beautiful picture in Scripture. And so one of the reasons we talk about growing in faith and understanding God's Word is because God's Word gives us a picture of who Christ is and how we ought to live and how He brings salvation. Now, that's important to us in the world we live in. It's important to us in the world we live in because there are a lot of people that are confused about salvation. Like, there are a lot of people that have kind of... Usually what they do is they kind of make up their own understanding of salvation And usually it involves good works or a a lot of nice things or a scale. Like if I do a, a lot of good things, it's weighted in my favor. And then if I do something bad, it goes back in the other direction. So there's this ongoing scale in my life of good versus bad. That's not what Scripture teaches. Special revelation explains to us exactly who Jesus is and exactly how salvation is found. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this very simply. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So foundationally, I don't ever want to miss this opportunity. When the Scripture talks about salvation in Christ, I don't want to miss the opportunity of helping you understand salvation is found only in Jesus. If you want to know more, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Here's the second thing I want you to see in Scripture. I want to think through this for a few minutes this morning. Truth number two. The Bible was inspired by the Lord. Not only does it give us a picture of Jesus and a picture of salvation, but it's inspired by the Lord. I want you to look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 again. Look at verse 16. I want you to notice what it says here. What's the first word in 2 Timothy 3, 16? Three people saw it. Let's do it together. What's the first word in 2 Timothy 3, 16? All. It's not some, it's not a few. Now, nah, I'm going to step on your toes. It's not only the ones that I choose to obey. It's not only ones that I feel good about. It's all Scripture. All of God's Word. And then it says, is what? Is breathed out by God. That's a very interesting phrase. It's an interesting word. I want to kind of think through what it means just for a few minutes together this morning. There, There are certainly instances in Scripture where the Bible says God gave us His Word and He physically wrote it Himself. For example, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. The Bible says, And he gave to Moses, this is the Lord, He gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, two tablets of the testimony. Right, This is the Ten Commandments. Tablets of stone, here's what it says, written with the finger of God. Isn't that amazing? There are instances where the Lord literally and physically writes things out with His finger, as Scripture says, and hands it to us. That happens. But what is usually the case is that he inspires human authors instead to write his words down. And so the Bible is a collection, 66 books, over 40 authors. David, Paul, Peter, John, Moses, on and on the list goes. Of these authors, over 40 of them, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, uh, tent makers, all these authors were used by the Lord to write down Scripture. And the way this happens and this is important for us to understand is that the Lord through the power of the Spirit inspired these people to write them. So you see scriptures like 2nd Samuel chapter 23 which says the spirit of the Lord speaks to me his word is on my tongue. Exodus chapter 24 verse 34. The Bible says, excuse me, 24 verse 4 and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Galatians chapter 1 Verse 11 and 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Like on and on we could read these passages of Scripture that say, listen, the Lord inspired this writing. God gave these words to human authors. They wrote them down. We have them in His Word. And by the way, just so you'll understand this, the idea that we have the complete collection, the full canon of the Word of God in one bound volume is uncommon in the history of the world. Like for centuries, people didn't have this. And all of a sudden, in the world we live in, because of Gutenberg and others like him, and you can go Google him later if you want to, we have bound volumes, books that have been printed And the Bible is now in this volume that we can carry around. The idea that we can carry around God's word, take with us to church, take it home, take it wherever we want to go, is unheard of in history. So we're very blessed. But we see that God has written this word. He's inspired authors. And here's the connection I want you to make. Right, If we're going to say that God inspired this, that God wrote this, then we can make a jump here and say as believers we would say, because it is God's word, it is true. And because it is true, it can be trusted. Right? If God wrote it, then it's true. And if it's true, then it can be trusted. Now, I want to spend just a couple of minutes here because I know in the world we live in, not everybody's going to buy that. Right? You go to work tomorrow and you say, Listen, this is the Bible. God wrote it. It's true. It can be trusted. You're probably going to get a response something like this. Man, good for you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's important for you, and I'm glad you're living your life. But that's your truth, and that's fine if you want to believe it. But that's not really what I believe. I don't think it's true. I've kind of got my set of values. You've got your you do your thing and be happy, no problem. I'm going to do my thing and be happy, and we just kind of leave each other alone, right? What we understand though, as believers, is that that person that doesn't understand God's truth and doesn't understand Christ and doesn't understand salvation, one day will understand the truth when it's too late. You understand? Like they're heading down a bad path. And so as believers, we ought to be willing on some level, and then there's depth to this, and you can spend a a lifetime studying this, but as believers, we ought to be able to defend our faith, sometimes outside of the truth of God's Word. And I believe it. I think it's true from cover to cover. I have no doubt. I've never doubted the truth of Scripture, but I know not everybody does this. So I'm going to give you kind of three areas, three things you can use as you think through it. I hope it strengthens your faith. But I hope also it gives you an opportunity maybe to share your faith with others so they can know a little bit more about the Bible and understand a little bit more. So three quick, very simple things that you can use to help you understand and know that the Bible is true. Now, I've taught some of these before, so if you've heard them before, you can kind of commit them to memory, read back through them again, and maybe use them as you talk to people about their faith. Here's the first one. The Bible has more copies and manuscripts than any other ancient book in existence. That's just fascinating to me. Like, I love history, so that matters to me. But there are more copies of God's Word, and they're older copies, by the way, than any other book in existence, period. Period. Bar none. So just a couple of quick examples. I've got them on the screen here. right? The works of Julius Caesar, 10 copies. Now you can go to the store and buy copies. That's not what we're saying. We're saying copies that date back hundreds and hundreds of years. The earliest version of the works of Julius Caesar date to 900 A.D. That's a long time ago, but there are only 10 of them. The works of Tacitus, 20 copies, no originals. The oldest dates to 1100 A.D. Now, those are pretty important works. They're, they're viewed in history as truth. They're taught in universities. Nobody questions whether they're valid. Nobody questions whether what we have now, the works of Caesar, are what was actually written. They don't ever question that. Now, compare that to the New Testament. New Testament, 5,700 copies, the oldest copy dated to 117 AD. That's incredible. Just the sheer historical magnitude of these source documents is unheard of. There's no other book even close. And so you can say with absolute certainty, listen, we know that this word we have here is the same word that Paul wrote, right? Because there's all kind of people that would say, well, what Paul said and what he wrote in the first century is not what we have now. That's not true. We're just lying to you. We can absolutely prove. We can talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the book of Isaiah and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And I'd love to explain all this to you. you don't have time to do this. But we can say with absolute certainty that this book existed 2,000 years ago and what the authors wrote down then is still what we're reading. It had been changed. It's the same book. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The Bible contains a unified message right from beginning to end. The story of Scripture is basically God created everything good, man sinned, and the remainder of Scripture is about figuring out how to be redeemed, how to fix the broken relationship with the Lord. That's a a simplified version, but all Scripture is about God redeeming humans back to himself, fixing the situation. Now, I want to show you something. This is just fascinating, and I don't probably have time to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Genesis. Flip, Flip your Bibles to Genesis 5. I don't have this on the screen. But if you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter 5 is actually page 4 if you're looking at one of our copies. Just a real quick story. This is what's interesting to me, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. Everything is good. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Everything changes. And from Genesis 3 forward now is about redeeming sinful people back to himself. And then there's this this fascinating verse in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. Genesis 5, 28. Now listen to these words. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. Now this is Noah's dad. And he called him Noah, right? Saying, listen to the words of Lamech, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now let me just kind of, Help you understand. If you were just reading through this, the genealogies here and who was born when and their descendants, you'd probably just move right on past this. But Lamech does something very interesting in Genesis chapter 5. He acknowledges two truths. Truth number one is that there's a curse on the ground. All right, there's a problem, there's a curse, there's, there's something going on here. We need relief from this. And truth number two, he's already hoping that God is going to send the one that will save them from that sin. Isn't that amazing? Maybe this is the one out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This shall be the one to bring us relief. Isn't that amazing? Lamech already needs a savior. You see that? <laughs> like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. The people of the Old Testament already recognized the curse. They already recognized the sin. They were already longing for Messiah. They just didn't know it yet. The whole rest of the Old Testament is a unified message of exactly who Christ is and exactly what he was going to do. Now the third thing I need to move on through. We're running low on time here. The third thing, the reason we can believe Scripture is all the fulfilled prophecies. There, There are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. I've given you just a few. I don't have time to read them this morning. But there are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And we could go through these and talk through these. One of my favorites is Isaiah 53. I didn't even put it up there. But Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, paints one of the clearest pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus anywhere in Scripture. It's even clearer sometimes in the gospel presentation itself. Now, you tell me this. If you're a skeptic, and some people are, if you're a skeptic, what do you do with a scripture that was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus and yet clearly points to Jesus and all that was going to happen to him during his crucifixion? Right? If you're intellectually honest, you come to kind of this place where you've got to make a decision. Right? We can prove that these scriptures are older than Christ. We know they were written before Jesus was born. What do you do with those truths? Well, for me, it leads me to this point of understanding this really is God's word. It really is absolute truth and it really is good enough for me to build my life upon. Now, I need to finish. Truth number three is we've kind of finished this thing up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're back to that, verse 16. Truth number three is the Bible speaks truth into our lives. The Bible speaks truth into our lives. Look at verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. We understand that God's Word will teach us, it will lead us, it will guide us, it will direct us. One of the greatest passages of Scripture is Psalm 119, verse 105. And I want to show you something, just real quick. And I know I'm running low on time, but this time last year, I was in Rocky Mountain National Park hiking, and, and we, we camped out at the base of Long's Peak. Long's Peak is about 14,200 feet tall. It's the highest point in Rocky Mountain National Park. And the base camp for it is about 12,500 feet. A little bit of oxygen up there. But it's a a beautiful location, just just surreal, otherworldly. And when you camp there and you go to hike the top of the mountain, because it's such a long hike, the people that are not camping there have to start early in the morning in order to ascend to the summit. When I say early in the morning, I mean like 2, 3 in the morning. So you're asleep in your tent, and around 3 or 4 a.m., you begin to hear people moving and walking and voices. And if you get up, it's pitch black out there, but you can see kind of down the mountainside. It slopes down a couple of thousand feet and then down around the corner. Coming around that corner are just headlights like this because people are walking in the darkness. I want you to bring the lights off here. But just sit still. Just relax. Bring the lights down. Nobody move can nice. he was on their phone. I got you, see, I got you. <laughs> just kidding. It's hard to walk in the darkness, isn't it? If I ask you to get up, and I'm, I'm trying to walk down right now, I hope I don't fall. It's hard to walk in darkness. Now, I want you to just, just the analogy here. So many people live their lives walking in this darkness. They don't understand that there's truth. Now, I'm not going to shine anybody's face. The Bible says that God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, And a light into our path. That doesn't mean I can see 50 yards or 100 feet or whatever it means. I can see the path ahead of me. And I know where to walk and I know how to get back up here and I know where I need to go and what I need to do. Why? Because God's Word guides me. Now here's the beautiful thing about a light. If I understand how to properly use this thing, I can help you as well. I can show you where to walk. I can show you the path to take. The Bible says, listen, God's word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It will lead us through the darkness. Go ahead and bring those lights back up if you would, please. I want you to understand something about God's word. It's true. It's real. And it will give you the light you need to walk through the darkness of life if you'll simply let it. Now I want you to close up your Bibles. I want you to close up your notes. I'm going to end with just two questions like I've done each week. Praise team, you guys come on up if you would. Two very simple questions that I'd like you to answer. Just kind of the quietness of your heart. Go ahead and put all your stuff away and then settle back in. Then I want you to close your eyes. We're going to do this kind of as a prayer as they're making their way up. Question number one very simply How important is God's Word to you? Is it really a lamp into your feet and a light into your path? Are you really living by its truths? Do you think it's absolute truth? Is it foundational for you? Or instead, is it the book that you bring to church on Sunday morning? When you're done, you put it back on the shelf, and then maybe next week you bring it back out again. Where are you in that question? And then here's the second truth. Regardless of where you are, because I think we could all say, listen, I wish I was in the word more. I wish I was more active in learning and memorizing. Here's the second question. What are you going to do in your life? What changes are you going to make? in order to bring the priority necessary to God's word? Are you going to change schedule? Are you going to change priorities? Are you going to get up earlier, stay up later, take longer at lunch? Whatever it looks like for you, what are you going to do to make God's word a priority and a foundation for the way that you live? Father, we thank you for your word. It's beautiful. It's challenging. It's absolute truth. May we understand what it means to us and may we live our lives based on its truth for your honor and for your glory. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand, time of invitation. You you can talk to me about salvation, church membership. Uh, You can come and pray. But you make a decision as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.